We are so excited, you guys. Oh my God. Because on this week's Coen Brothers Brothers, we're on episode two, movie two chronologically. It is... 1987's Raising Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) Running down the street, grabbing huggies. Um, So Raising Arizona, which, man, we just covered Princess Bride not too long ago on Frame Rate, and we're like, there's certain movies you watch, and no matter how many times you've seen them, you go, this is goddamn delightful. Like, it is surprisingly delightful still on the 11th watch, and Raising Arizona is one of those movies. I rewatched it for this. I hadn't watched it in a few years, and I was just telling you outside, I almost put it on immediately again yeah, to yeah. rewatch it. Because yeah. I was like, that at the ending, and I was like, ah, oh, but that beginning, ah, oh, that middle. The oh, opening. That the opening. All right. So, as you probably guessed, this is the Coen Brothers Brothers, <laughs> where we take a sophisticated look at the Coen Brothers, the greatest filmmakers of all time. And uh, we do that by examining three spectra, diegesis, pedagogy, and howdy do that. Howdy do that. <laughs> and we'll start with diegesis, which is everything that happens in the film. What does the movie look like, feel like? Mm. What's it about? Uh, so, Abe, you want to sort of recap the events of this for us? So, <clears> Hi <throat> McDonough, played by Nicolas Cage, uh, he's like a convenience store robber in Arizona. And he's a repeat offender. What's the word for it? Recidivism. Recidivism. <laughs> yep. And so, a repeat uh, offender. It's uh, the opening montage is him kind of like just talking about his situation over narration. But as we g- get to see, there's a love interest, Holly Hunter, who plays Edwina, aka Ed, uh, as she takes the mug shots of him. And um, since he's a repeat offender, he keeps seeing her, keeps seeing her, keeps seeing her. And then, right, we, she's a police officer. She's a police officer, and she and it's. The, the shots are amazing because it's always just straight on. Like, she has her own mug shot. This opening montage... That includes the camera. ...is A, one of the best parts of the movie. B, one of the best p- beginning parts of any movie ever. Like, Ugh. it is a masterful montage. It's still... Again, voiceover. One of the best montages that the Coens will ever do. And... They do it a lot. So, like, I th- I really feel like this is the genesis of a Cohen trademark, which is the opening montage that with narration over yeah. it that just fucking blows your mind with charm and yeah. character and wit. Yeah, and it's all in, like, the nar- – it's narration, but it's also in the lines because the narration will cut out and the song will come in and we'll keep hearing their talks. So, like, on the first time that he sees her, he's wearing that amazing – uh, uh, he always is wearing Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts. shirts. Yeah. yeah, and, and I it, love that. Actually, you're his, a desert flower. Yeah, you certainly are. His introduction, the very first time we see him, is uh, they say H I McDonough, hi, and then he gets shoved into frame. So it's like literally hi, hi. And we're introducing yeah. the main character, and now. she and people in the film call him H I, but it's interchangeable with, with hi. hi. So it's like it's a name, but it's also high junior. Yeah. Like, and the frame he gets shoved into junior. is the ruler, you know, the mugshot ruler that they have. Sizing him up. But it's Dutch. I love that. Yeah. Like so our opening image of this one one of the main protagonists is like he's in this skewed world and he can't get through he, he can't needs, get right she's always upright. Everything's like very uh, centered and flat, mm-hmm. meaning like you look at just those two people. Everything else is window dressing. Uh, so his askew world is kind of put into correction as soon as he meets Ed. Right. And then from there, he's got a goal. Uh, and so anyway, after uh, continued visits and continually, uh, 
I think he's been in jail. Like I, I tried to count it because they were flipping pages, but I saw that like some of them were double. So mm-hmm. it's at least over eight times. <laughs> yeah, he has been in jail. So no three strikes law <laughs> here. But um, he finds out that she's always stoic, always the same. Just like she's just doing her job, and you know starts to warm up to him a little bit. But then what really happens is that he finds out that Ed's fiance or fiance uh, has left her. Right. And she's and he flips sobbing. out. He's, he's like, goes, "What's wrong?" Yeah. And uh, he flips out. He's like, "You tell him, H. I. Dunna's gonna come. McDonough's gonna come find him." Like, if you need to find, if you if he has a problem with that, I'll be in cell block C of Wing D of the st- <laughs> yeah. prison for men in Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> in Tempe, Arizona. And I love in that montage. Also has uh, one of just the funniest exchanges of dialogue I've ever experienced. Is Which him. one? The shot where he is underneath his bunkmate. And it's like this static shot of oh, just yeah. one bunk, two bunk. And the guy is closer to camera because we're looking down. Is like, when there was no pig, we ate fowl. And when there was no fowl, we ate sand. You ate what? We ate sand. You ate sand? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a good, like, all right, these guys had a conversation about sand. That's you what that was. Sand. You ate sand? That's weird. Yeah, sand. Yeah. Just the, uh, it, and it, it hits like every prison trope in five minutes. Yeah. That you're, uh, uh, you get everything. to the machine shop where M. Emmett Walsh is uh, talking about uh, mm-hmm. his stories with Bill of different kinds. Bill Watson. Who played the main antagonist in Blood Simple, yeah. M. Emmett Walsh. Yeah. Comes back for a minor role in this where he's just like his buddy at the machine shop he works at when he's trying to like get his life together. And, and we never see High's face in this whole sequence. Anytime right. it's, anytime we're with this guy, which is like twice, it's on High's back. And it's just shots of Walsh. Yeah. Incidentally, on High's back is a patch that identifies that the plant they're working at is Hudsucker Industries. Oh, Which nice. is amazing. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's fucking great. Why would they do that? Oh, I know. Because Hudsucker's had, Acme and it's a Looney Tune. And Hudsucker, they had written at this time. In fact, after Blood Simple, the Coens wanted Hudsucker to be their next film. Right. After they scripted it out, two things happened. They realized it was way more expensive to make than they were going to raise at this point so in their they careers. Did Miller's Crossing. So they did several in between. And then Barton Fink. Fink yeah. And, and then also, <coughs> they often write roles for one particular actor and they only wanted Paul Newman for the role in Hudsucker. Right. And Paul Newman said no. So he literally just waited until he said yes, which took many years. I guess we got to get better to get cool hand Luke. Right. So Um, instead they made Raising Arizona, which to hear them tell it is a sellout movie in the sense that they wanted to show that after Blood Simple, they weren't just going to be all doom and gloom intensity. They didn't want to get pigeonholed into only making crime noirs. Yeah. So they made this zany, balls to the wall, Looney Tunes comedy. Which might be the best version in that genre, I guess. Yeah. That has ever been penned. It's just so delightful. Yeah. Having conversations with the, I don't know, the warden and the, the parole board. The parole board, yeah. Yeah. With it embedded in the montage, there's this repeated hilarious thing with, with the parole board yeah. where every time they decide to let him out on parole, the head parole guy goes, okay then. Okay then. And then it cuts him committing another crime and getting arrested. And they're like, are you just telling us what you want to hear? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> the final beat of it, I wrote down because it's one of the best parts. You know what you are, High? You're a recidivist. Not a nice name, is it, boy? 
No, sir, that's one bonehead name, but that ain't me no more. Don't just tell us what we want to hear. No, sir, no way. Because we just want to hear the truth. Well, then I guess I am telling you what you want to hear. Boy, didn't I just tell you not to do that? I'm sorry, sir. Okay, then. (laughs) Okay, then. Yeah. It's such a good sequence. It's perfectly crafted. Uh, Okay. So immediately he gets paroled. He gets paroled. He and he, his first, as yeah. he gets put, literally putting the clothes on they had on his back, walks right in. He's now combed his hair. He's no longer Woody Woodpecker, and he walks right up to her and says uh, that they're going to get married. Proposes to her uh, after, uh, and the two get married, and they have a very short sequence of what? What's the lines? It's like the salad. Days, I do. As they no, say. no, no. The oh. I do, and then. Of course, or well, something. no, no, no. The priest says, "Okay, then." Okay, it's then. the last right, beat of the right. "Okay, then." They, they just go. It, the wedding's great because they do the entire wedding in four shots. Mm. There's just his face looking up, saying "I do." Her face We're looking saying, up, saying "You betcha." You or betcha. Something. That's it. And then the shot of the priest saying, "Okay, okay then. then," and then <laughs> and a high, everyone. wide, and stupid shot of oh. the entire party, which you realize. On the bride's side, it's all, <laughs> it's all cops in uniform. Yeah. And on the groom's side, it's literally all guys who look exactly like Nick Cage <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Well, it's because they're all the scufflaws. Right, but yeah. apparently scufflaws all wear identical Hawaiian shirts yeah, in this universe. exactly, because that convenience store robbers. Right, and everyone just cheers, and now you know they're married. Yeah, it's unlikely marriage, but here we are. So, they move into a desert mobile home, the salad days, as they say. And Ahai gets a job in a, a machine shop, uh, which later comes into play because he loses his job. But they have, they uh, they want to have children, so they keep trying. Uh, but we figure out that Ed is she's infertile. As uh, as he says in the montage, another line I highlighted: the doctor explained to us that her insides was a rocky place where my, my seed could find no purchase. Yeah. Which I also got to say right off the bat. This echoes way more than I remembered of Oh Brother, or foreshadows it, I suppose. I really feel like Nick Cage's dialect evolves into the George Clooney dialect in Oh Brother in a way. And you even end up with him, John Goodman, and then the really dumb guy, which is the same as the Oh Brother crew. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they just kind of talk like Oh Brother, but less dated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, um, in fact, the accent isn't even like an, uh, well, we, it's not an Arizona accent. No, it, Arizonans called it out at the time for being like, they're like, what are you what, trying to present? Are, because are they hicks? Or they really? all have really deep Southern accents, which is not accurate. And it's to not Arizona. a real like Southern accent because it's also got that slow drawl. It's and like, it's, and these it's like a Georgia or Alabama accent. Yeah, it's and like there's, a simpleton. There's no one with like a Spanish accent, which would be t- more true in Arizona. Right, right. And what? And they also said, you know, that dialect. No one in the world talks like that. And I think that's what's amazing is the Cohen said, "Oh, we know. This takes place in like a cartoon universe where the dialect is what we made it because it's like like imagine it's a fantasy novel. The elves talk like this because right. that's what the effect we wanted, and we don't care that." It's totally inaccurate to what Arizona's it's like. It's the tone that we wanted to do. Right. And that's why they did it. And they've and actually fine, said the dialect is based on how someone would talk if they repeatedly read only the Bible and supermarket tabloids. And after reading that in an interview, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. He's like, he combines the highfalutin structure of biblical 
messages with just hick tablet stuff. It's great. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> after they figure out that she uh, can't have children, she spirals into a kind of depression, uh, which is a great sequence because I love how uh, she arrives by car and then like he's he has this. It's basically still his monologue. This whole fucking thing is like inner. Like it feels like a continuous monologue. The We're still film. in the opening yeah. sequence. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, be, before we get introduced to the Arizona Quints, but um, so they try to adopt and because of his record, can't do it. Nothing. I don't really have anything to add to that. He said, scene. "I yeah, I we were still more in love than ever, but I premonist no return of the salad days." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, she stops even doing the housekeeping, as he says. Right? Uh, yeah. So it's then just it a ex- shot of uh, oh. Holly Hunter just sitting on a bed, like absolutely lethargic, and there's just clothes like a horror thrown house. around. Right? Yeah. It's it's, but it's still played to this really happy tune, which is just mm-hmm. like a crazy. Like, they want to tell you that they, in this world, people can be unhappy and you can still be, like, ever, everything is still, like, kind of a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the things they were dinged by in criticism. There's, like, you're not really saying anything if you're not, like, treating the fact that, a, you know, like, a, a family coming to terms with, like... Infertility. They, yeah, like, that's that's a real thing. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's, but I mean... But we this is a cartoon it. version of it. Yeah, it's a cartoon. I, man, fuck those people. And I say that with a heavy heart because well, Roger Ebert Roger gave this a thumbs yeah. down and it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, they didn't get it, I don't think. I'd like to think he would have changed his mind in retrospect. But then exactly at the 10 minute mark, I made a note, <coughs> the Arizona Quints are first mentioned, uh, which is the inciting f- after incident. After the first sequence, yeah. 10 minutes. This is, uh, 10 to 12 minutes. This is, if you don't know, 10 minutes in is exactly where like a cookie cutter movie places the inciting incident. So I think the Coens are still very much in the point in their career where they're like, let's not fuck with the formula. Let's let's just do the best formula ever. Right. And so Holly Hunter's character, Ed, she basically has, she stopped going to work. So she's no longer even a cop. Yeah. So she decides to turn to crime and they're like, how can, how can one, how could God give one family so much and everyone else so little? They right, fight. and in an interview, the father, Nathan <clears throat> Arizona, says, yeah. huh, it's more than we can handle. And she sort of fixates on that and is like, see, they said it's more than they can handle. So We'd be helping them out. One. They're yeah. going to steal one baby. And <laughs> it might be... Oh, but just in, sorry, quince, in case, because it's also a fruit, in case that's not clear, quintuplets. Yeah. So five, a, qu- a set of quintuplets are born to this rich family in Arizona. Yeah. Nathan, Arizona Who owns- sells furniture... That's unpainted. Unpainted Arizona, the state's Raising largest a, uh, warehouse. Yeah, no, of, sorry, yeah. it's uh, unpainted Arizona is yeah. the name of it, right? Um, and uh, so then starts one of my favorite sequences in the movie. God, I'm going to just repeat that every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of propels the story forward because now we actually get their dialogue about what, how they're going to do it, and they like show up, and he, uh, Nick Cage, we cut right into the kids. Um, in their nursery. Their nursery, which is fantastically shot everything is like at baby level or straight on looking up and down at babies it's like this crazy i don't even know what to call it it's like a, <laughs> it's like just a myriad of different tones that they hodgepodge together it feels like 
like the little cartoon that begins Roger Rabbit. Yeah. It's like a separate, like almost that old school thing where you take a break and you're just like, here's an episode of Baby's Day Out where there's wacky baby jokes where the babies are in danger and then yeah. they're narrowly And there's saved. too many babies. <laughs> right. And they all are going towards places. They have a, uh, they have a small digression where... Uh, Arizona family is, mm-hmm. or at least Florence, Arizona, and Nathan, and Nathan are, keep hearing they're like, what does he say? They're restless. Sounds like Nathan's restless. Yeah. yeah. Nathan and uh, finally, she goes up, and there's a small ma- a b- a bit of drama of like, uh, he has to put all these babies back. He does it, but we he don't hides, see him doing blah, it. Blah, blah, blah. High goes back down. He steals a baby. He doesn't. Yeah, but I, I want to talk about like when he comes back to Holly Hunter. Yeah, and he's just like, "There, you should have seen him there on me." It was all these like, I couldn't, I couldn't take one. I couldn't find the right one. Oh, that's and right. She, he, she he demands de- yeah. you do not return here without, without a, baby. a baby. Right. I love the shot. There's one shot that's a tracking right to left shot where you see all five babies, babies each yeah. engaged in a different activity and as the shot ends he picks up the fifth baby that must have been annoying to get but a great uh, shot <laughs> 15 babies played the Arizona quintuplets and did you read oh you know Antichrist right Lars von Trier yeah well one of the actually I won't spoil it in case people haven't seen it there's spoilers to Cohen shit but we shouldn't spoil uh, collateral movies in this yeah probably not but uh, so I won't tell you why I mentioned Antichrist but I will say did you know one of the babies was fired because they learned to walk and the they would start... In Raising Arizona. Right. During the filming of Raising Arizona, one of the 15 babies who turned out to be one of the lead babies started walking and liked walking and would walk and sh- like stand up and walk in shots. And they fired that baby when they found out that the mom was trying to keep it from walking by putting its shoes on the wrong feet so that it was pa- right. in pain all the time. That's some Fucking of- stage moms, That's dude. That's why... St- uh, studio teachers exist right uh, and the Coens found out and they're like oh you're fired take your baby home and, and don't come back so there's <laughs> a there's a rule in Hollywood if you don't know what a studio teacher is which is essentially a third party member who is usually like they're credentialed as a teacher but they're there to protect a series of different things that could happen and it kind of started with the Twilight Zone movie because like kids died and stuff like that and it created like a whole sequence of laws of how you treat children and like what brackets if they're age if they're under 18 months if they're older than two if they're younger than seven you have all these rules you have to follow including how like how long they're there and all that stuff because under lights stage the lights are hot parents yeah. often want their children to be like the best one so they often will go far very very far in order to maintain a job and be like the star baby uh to the point of like hurting their own children right famously uh in the exorcist people asked selma blair's mom often like is that it selma blair i don't think so linda blair linda blair people ask linda blair's mom often i don't know is this what you like didn't it feel weird didn't it bother you because I don't. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, there she says like your mom sucks cocks in hell and stabs herself in the vagina and makes her mom eat the blood from her own. But they vagina. reversed it and she learned it phonetically, right? I don't know. My point is that's how they did. That. This is like a fifteen-year-old girl. Okay, that's cool. But people often ask the mom, like, was that weird for you? And no, like the mom lobbied hard for her daughter to be this to be the and it demon ended up ruining yeah. Linda Blair's life. It's just. Stage moms are so weird to me. It's this weird subculture. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. 
So yeah, she steals a baby. He steals a baby. He steals a baby. They steal a baby. Babies. There's now Nathan Jr.'s in the car. They think. That's the one. Yeah. And I, there's some great lines here. He says, here's the instructions and throws Dr. Spock's baby book in the car. Which is like all over the film. I think multiple people take it. You know, John Goodman takes it because they, it's their baby now too later in the film. Like it's just keeps coming up. And then he, I, it's such a human, funny foible. He's, he wants like praise for the thing he just did yeah he goes like he's a damn good baby i think i got, I got the, best the best one. one and she's like well all babies are beautiful and he's like this one's damn good though and <laughs> it's probably my fa- favorite uh, favorite like little piece of performances in that car where holly hunter immediately like drop of a pin is just like i love him so much i it's everyone loves that delivery it is hilarious and i realized this time that i think it shows masterful editing too because i can't prove this but i feel like that was scripted for her to say once and they used two takes takes, because she does it literally the same way and the funniest aspect of it is it cuts back to him going Uh I know, honey, and I I know, honey, I know is the line. But instead, it goes, I love him so much. Cut back to him, and he goes, I know, honey. Cut back to her, and she says exactly the same. <laughs> I, love I love him, him so much. much. And he says, I know. Yeah. I feel like they when they were editing, they were like, yeah, that, keep it rolling. Yeah, <laughs> that might be that might be right, because we... You do that as an editor. You just yeah. think of like, oh, you just. And then she is like, around. is this okay, though, that we stole the baby? Is this morally wrong? And he says, listen, honey, there's what's right and there's what's right. And never the twain shall meet. Yeah. <laughs> She's just like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so uh, they return home. Welcome home, son, is a banner that yep. they literally have. Uh, and when they return home and, and you know, they're. I mean, I guess it's just a, that's just the sequence where they're just talking about uh, well how, how they're going to gonna raise, raise the baby, the baby right? And, yeah, she's realizing they don't know anything. They realize they don't know much, but yeah. she has big ambitions and is already telling him how he's going to have to change and change his life. He's right. like, "You're father now. You got to do this. We're going to have to get insurance yeah. and shit." Meanwhile, yeah, we have Gail and uh, is it Evel? Evel, yeah, Evel, yeah, Gail and Evel, Jeannie, John Goodman, and William Forsyth. Snotes. They're the Snotes brothers. The Snotes, which is like, (laughs) there's these two fat guys who are friends, who are bank robbers. Who are friends of Nick's in prison. uh, And not convenience store robbers. Mm. And they were in prison, they broke out. No, no, actually, they were convenience store robbers because they say- They're just up in the game list. This is the first bank ever they want to be in. He says like, you know, we want to make something of ourselves. I see. I thought it was because he's like, now we know you uh, pride yourself on being a convenience store robber. Yeah, either way. But, yeah, either way. Uh, John Goodman (laughs) comes out of, literally comes out of the muck, like a swamp, which is Shawshank Redemption. I was going to say, it's better than, it's more effective to me than the Shawshank sequence. Just because he's screaming the whole time. And it predates it. Yeah, it's better. (laughs) He lifts up his brother by the... leg which is functions as a joke like it's crazy how without dialogue they can subvert your expectations the only thing you immediately your brain clicks is oh he's gonna pull someone out by the hand so they undermine (laughs) that assumption and it's his foot right which is just a chuck jones roadrunner thing but basically what's literally happening is two prisoners have dug out but it's like it's this delightfully confusing thing where you're just seeing john goodman Come out of the mud like he's being born from the earth and <laughs> right. scream the whole time. Ah! <laughs> My favorite part is that as soon as his 
brother arrives, of course, when his head is revealed, he's screaming in perfect unison with exactly. his brother as like, if he was down there screaming. You just couldn't hear him because his mouth was covered with <laughs> yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I love there's one shot. The last shot of the thing is that as he's screaming, uh, he's had his two hands on both of his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last shot is, and I wonder if it was intentional or John Goodman was just because the, obviously to lift someone out of the muck, there's a lot of safety concerns. Right. Like they're, they're not faking that water and that mud. So someone's down there and it's like a platform that they had, that they probably had, you know, either they built like something under it and just filled so it with mud. So he could breathe, right? Yeah. So he can breathe. And also there's an apparatus because John Goodman can't lift a man by his feet <laughs> right, he's super it, with such ease. And as like a joke at the very end, the last shot, and you, if you blink, you miss it. Uh, he puts his other hand down. So not only oh. is he strong enough to do that, <laughs> he can he's do strong enough one-handed. that he can hold up his brother upside down by one, one, ankle. By one ankle. Well, he's screaming at the heavens. <laughs> and they're both just screaming at the heavens. And you're like, wait, who are these people? Yeah. And then they show up, they show up at and the trailer park. Yeah, and I love the touch of like talk about uh, things to note uh, on other films that they do. Uh, I don't, they're not, uh, they're not a Dapper Dan man, but no. they both love to put pomade. pomade. I don't think it's fop either, but it's it, not yeah, fop. They, like, they immediately it's go. something else. Which is but important they love, later. Like Cone Brothers love the idea of someone slicking their hair back. Yeah, greasers. Greasers. Yeah, yeah, so they go, they stop off at a gas station bathroom and put pomade in their filthy hair, and then yeah. they go to find Nick Cage. Uh, I also wanted to say, since you mentioned the banner, did it strike you on this viewing? Did it remind you at all of Arrested Development? Yeah, a little bit. I now that you mentioned like, it, it didn't strike me. But the jubilant tone and some elements of the farcical confusion, the, the magical fact, world they live in, and just the welcome home sun banner, and they were like, I don't know, there was just stuff that really, like the biker yeah. is like ice, and <laughs> there yeah. are rest of development overlap. Yeah, that, that's very strange. The other thing is, I don't know if Wes Anderson. I mean, he must have seen it. It's a famous, famous film, and yeah. he's a man of but film. But working in pastel colors and the framing, I was like, "Wow!" I give Wes Anderson way too much credit. This does eighty percent of the Wes Anderson shots, and this is way before he that even was of adult is age. Exactly right. You agree? Yeah. No, I've actually long. I, I was like, I, I liked Wes Anderson as a filmmaker, especially Royal Tenenbaums, Tenenbaums where it talks beautiful. about dysfunction. But he's I think a great writer. I too. constantly yeah. think that even though he's very good at what he does. And who am I? I'm, I'm, you know, starting my directorial career, really. Right. And this guy's accomplished so much. And he writes the script. He can write really good stuff, good, bottle yeah. rockets, good script, all that stuff. But a lot of people, and now he's kind of like dipped into it because he realizes it's uh, exactly what like people liked about it. Mm-hmm. And it's what like Zach Braff came on and said, like, I'm going to do my own Wes Anderson thing. It's called Garden State. Yeah. And stuff like that where it's just like at a certain point, it's framing the same way always keeping the shots really flat and like dollhouse mm-hmm. looking like a cut, cut like yeah, a cross section cross section. And then let's just pick the coolest art director and have them show me floral prints all day. And the Cohen's art direction team is unstoppable. Yeah. Every costume, costume. is so detailed. I love uh, Florence, Arizona has a brooch at her neck with a bas relief Mm -hmm. of kids running around a maypole. I'm like, where the fuck did you find that costume? Uh, Just how, how perfectly all of uh, highs uh, like, all, all of his Hawaiian shirts are yeah. both completely different 
and all mm-hmm. absolutely Identical. the same. Which I know is true about Hawaiian shirts, but like the color tones, yes. like they like take turns. It's like either teal blue mm-hmm. or it's like uh, orange, like gaudy orange. Yeah. And somehow they all have the same colors. Same pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's just the choices that they did for that shit are. I, I like. And you can already tell in this movie, I think more than Blood Simple because it was so sh- such a small cast, although yeah. Dan Hedaya is very interesting looking. The, in in Raising Arizona, you start to see another thing that will become a Cohen trademark. They love casting. When they cast extras who they aren't going to lean on hard for a lot of acting talent, they're like, give me the weirdest looking guy you got. Yeah. They love people with interesting faces. He's a suitor. And that, I think, uh, is part and parcel of the art direction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just one last bit. If, sure. Just because I think it's interesting and we'll probably not necessarily do a Wes Anderson film on this podcast. If you guys look for, it's probably on YouTube. There was like early two thousands, uh, American express ad with Wes Anderson that to me sums up and he's in it. It's like the whole point is like, it like follows him in a, on a set. set, I've seen the ad. Yeah. So you've seen it and it's exactly what I think the version of uh, like America's narrative of who Wes Anderson is and what he doubled down on and said, that's what I'm I will be at. that if that's what you because want. Because it's yeah. a series of people just bringing him a thing and saying, what do you want? As he's giving this American Express like monologue, they're just like, which floral print do you want? And he just points at it. And he's just a Rube Goldberg machine of dispensing Of selecting orders. twee things. Yeah, and it's all twee. <laughs> and it's all like, and I'm just like, how, why did you like, Clearly, you're dealt. You're because if I like, if you were to whatever narrative we have of Christopher Nolan, do you think he enjoys that? That there's a narrative about. I know you don't enjoy that. Like people think that you are just uh, Michael Swain for Majin's a crack. All you know? artists think that they're bigger than whatever exactly. thing they do. Yeah, and he and some are decided, right, and some are wrong. <laughs> he decided not to, and maybe there's something wise about that. But anyway, it's yeah. like the perfect like thesis for what. But he watching is. Raising Arizona, you realize the Coens just like dropped down, demolished Wes Anderson-style yep. film, and moved on to something totally different ne- the next day. Yeah, they just put on a different hat. And that's truly why they're... Because Spielberg, I think you could... Obviously, many people would say, but Spielberg's the best filmmaker of all time. Yes, for consistent, transparent filmmaking, but the Coens have style and have demonstrated a wide array of tones mm. and style in every... Mo- it's, it's crazy to me the filmography that they have. Yeah. And I'm delighted to be going through it with you. So the escaped criminals show up at the trailer park. So the snotes uh, <laughs> basically are this undesirable element that uh, Holly Hunter Ed does not want there. Bad influence. She tries to put her foot down, but in a very misogynistic way, John Goodman's like, who wears the pants in this family? That doesn't get to high. But what they have done is they've gotten into his brain where he's starting to fall back to his... Like with all these pressures that are on him, he's starting to think about crime. In fact, he drives around and uh, drives towards convenience stores that he is in a that aren't even aren't on the even way on home. The way home, and of course, because he's realizing that the baby needs a lot more money than he initially thought. Yeah, he didn't know about things like insurance and whatnot, and now he needs. Yeah, them. yeah. Well, that stuff comes doubles down later. When doubles we, down. I know we'll get there, but yeah. he is already worried about money. That's why the impulse to rob stores. Yeah. So he decides uh, to return to his felonious ways, <laughs> which is, is Leonard Smalls a reference to? Yes, of mice Lenny and men. Small? Lenny Smalls. Oh, really? Who is, of course, if you're not familiar with Steinbeck's of Mice and Men, it's a very straightforward reference. He's just a big dumb animal type of guy. My friends call me Lenny. 
but I don't have, have any no friends. Yeah. So this is this character is Leonard Smalls, who's described as like an apocalyptic hell biker. So yeah, he's basically, which is like gotta be, it's like a Mad Max reference. And uh, here's, oh shit, now I gotta hold on to uh, pedagogy for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he's, the cops are proving ineffectual and uh, Nathan Arizona is approached by Leonard Smalls, who is a bounty hunter. Yeah, because next what happens is the problems get worse because High Supervisor Glenn, uh, played by Sam McMurray. The cops are there. We have the scene where it proves that the cops can't get the job done. And he says, uh, I just need a goddamn person who knows the difference between a lead and a hole in the ground. Smash cut to the hole in the, the ground, ground at the prison. Yeah. So we also know the cops are beginning to close in on like they will eventually find them at highest place. Right. And that will, of course, right. ruin their lives. And Nathan Arizona is pissed off because he's, yeah. But three times High has dreams that are visions. Yeah. And this night, he dreams that, you know, there's a lot of danger in their lives. Things are getting really tough. And it's manifested by this hell biker that he dreams of so, who turns out right. to be real. Which adds insult to injury. So he's got this, you know, he's got the brothers who are like making him think of crime. He's got all this pressure. From they want the to baby, rob a bank. And he's got this fear, which is kind of like prophecy in his dreams uh, that there's someone coming to get him and he has to, because of the crime they committed, is going to have some kind of justice like put upon him. And just so, so you know what Leonard Smalls is like, he has one of the best intros ever in the dream. He... Uh, has a tattoo on his arm that says mama didn't love me <laughs> which identically is shown later yeah. as that's actually his tattoo like hi for some reason dreamt Knew his it. tattoo and he has tiny bronzed baby booties as a trophy on his belt as if he murdered a baby I guess yeah uh, also <laughs> in that dream sequence he especially hates uh, like little what, sweet little things. sweet things so he throws a grenade at a uh, bunny. bunny and he shoots and explodes a lizard <laughs> And then he drives by a flower, which causes it to burst into flames. <laughs> which is it's amazing. exactly a Tex Avery sequence of events. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it's perfectly Roadrunner. Fun fact, to get the lizard shot, this is still before complicated CG, you guys. They had a tiny lizard harness. It's so cute. And it was someone's job to yank the lizard out of frame right before the like squib oh, exploded. Yeah. And the lizard lived. The lizard, like, because... We're pretty strict with animal safety on set. At Not certain, at this time, though. Not at this time, For them. No, okay. In fact, they got dinged later in Barton Fink. For the mosquito shot. For the mosquito shot, which I thought was interesting because uh, there's a fly shot. Yeah. There's a shot Small, in this where Leonard Smalls grabs says, a fly out of the he's air. He's like, this place is air con- uh, uh, climate controlled. And so he doesn't believe there's a fly in there. In the but it means, I think, signifying that Smalls is, brings Super death. Superhuman, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering how they got that shot of the fly because it obviously I hurt think the they, fly. They, they might just have killed the fly. Okay. Yeah. But the lizard they didn't kill. There was a little tiny lizard harness. Little baby lizard <laughs> harness. And a, a little mouse that rides them. Right. So, yeah, their friends from work come over, which are a couple, Glenn and Dot. Glenn is his supervisor at the and sheet metal plant. They have plant. so many terrible children. Yeah, that's true. They have like eight terrible kids. Just throws things on everyone. Just throws rocks yeah. indoors, beats them. He, it, the opening shot is of the wide of all the kids and high is just standing near the refrigerator and there's just a kid with a, like a, a crayon. No, well there's a kid. Yeah. Fart. Well, I'm talking about Buford. What's yours. Yeah. Uh, well, the opening shot is there's just a kid uh, who just had, I think it's like a, a plastic bat. He's just beating the shit out of high. That's true. His legs. Yeah. And it's just like, they're having a conversation I, and high is just standing there like, well, I can't stop this. Right. It, 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 what it does is, is this is his worst fear is the that the future that will become unmanageable and crazy yeah. the uh 
Yeah, let's talk about some of the highlight kids. There's a little filthy girl with an eye patch, like she's injured one eye, with Pop-Tarts crammed in all the pockets of her overalls. (laughs) There's a kid named Buford who just writes the word fart in all caps on their wall with crayons. And then I love Buford writes farts on the wall and Glenn's response is, look at that. He already knows his ABCs. Hit the deck, boy. And he throws a handful of Skittles at him. So the kid has to like duck Dodge. out of the way. Of course, some of them hit him. It's just hit like the deck, he boy. thinks that that's that, I think that's Glenn thinking he's interacting with his children, like, like playing, playing catch. With them, yeah, you know, like it's just that. Uh, well, I'm proud of my kid. That makes me think that I should interact with my kids. I love kids. Here's how you play with kids. You throw things at <laughs> yeah. them. Ah, oh, that's great. Anyway, hi. What were you saying? Right, and Glenn is masterfully played by Sam McMurray, who is a great character actor and. Uh, cartoon voice actor who's been in it, literally a million things like yeah. I can't Francis McDormand is Dot and uh, uh, there's a there's a cool fact about this sequence that I yeah. want to talk about uh, with her which I didn't know before reading about it or researching into it but in the there's a conversation with Ed and Dot that they're having outside where Dot is just harping on, does he have his... Does he have insurance? Does He He needs his tet shot, he needs his, his dip tet. Dip tet. Uh, <laughs> and he needs this and he needs this and he needs this and stuff like that. At the beginning of that sequence, uh, Franz McDormand suddenly shouts off camera uh, to just... She invented a complete another child that you wouldn't have seen. And you know what I realized? She Doesn't invented call him by name. It's Will Ferrell's get off the dang shed. Bed. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah it's exactly that. that. Yeah. And she shouts it, and you can actually see it in the take because you don't not use You're that. looking at her, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at her. You don't. Uh, but Holly Hunter. Holly what? Hunter is just hiding a laugh because she, <laughs> she was breaks. like so startled by essentially what uh, Francis McDormand says, like, at her, ch- uh, like, get you. <laughs> What is it? Take that. Take your sister's diaper off his head and, and put, put it back on her. Yeah. And so it's just this random ad lib, and it's just such a good ad lib. The idea that not only are there two other children that you don't even know them by name. She's not yelling right. anyone's name. They could already exist, but it's just there's so many other kids. But when they're shooting the scene, there's no kid there. And Francis McDormand may be the only person to get an ad lib through the Coen Brothers uh, machine. Like I, think I wonder. A few, I think Totoro got squeaked by sure. with a few, but yeah. Oh, actually, the famous Miller's Totoro scene is ad libbed. I think yeah, they yeah, told yeah. him to ad lib yeah, that. There's sometimes they use it, but, so, but Glenn, she kills uh-huh. it. Like the yeah, idea she of kills putting it. a diaper mm-hmm. on sure. his head. It's fine. It's fine. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> I like uh, Glenn. How many Pollocks does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, one. No, three. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. No, I, I told it wrong. How come it takes three Pollocks to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. Because they're, they're so darn stupid. stupid. Yeah, it's just <laughs> And he a- goes, uh, Nick Cage doesn't laugh, and he goes, see, that's why they call it a way homer. You only get it on the way, way home. home. Which, I, and then Nick Cage uh, says, I am home. I am home. <laughs> uh, the, and it's also a payoff for later for when uh, we find out exactly what happened. Like, because he net... He's never convinced uh, any police officers that this crime went down uh, because well, every that's time kind of before the horse, they don't know about the crime yet, but they will soon. Well, they know about the crime. Yeah, we'll get there. That's yeah. no, but Dot and Glenn don't. I'm saying, but he tells a Pollock joke to a right, right, right. police officer. And we'll see just, that when it happens. I don't want to. I want to see it now. Oh, also, he has a good off-camera yell that I probably wasn't ad-libbed, but everyone, all the kids' names are like traditional hick names, and then one time. <laughs> 
Glenn just yells off camera, mind you, don't cut yourself, Mordecai. Mordecai. <laughs> One which, of their kids is named Mordecai. <laughs> because the uh, she, because in the earlier scene, Dot is telling Ed that you should name, what's his name? And she was like, we're thinking high junior. She's like, you should choose one from, you know, like a, uh, a name from the Bible. <laughs> which is Mordecai. Yeah. So in other words, their children are these weird <laughs> hick names or their Bible names because yeah. Dot got to name that one. Yeah. Because uh, that's just what they are. Just this whirlwind of a family um so then it brings up uh and this is what start everything starts sliding out of control uh for our main character because he's now acting back uh he's just been receiving information right this whole movie basically and the drama starts because he uh glenn mentions that we should uh swing we're sw- right. we swing they're on a walk just glenn and he and he confides in, in him you know, it is tough being a father. I'm pretty stressed out. And he goes, you know, it's good for de-stressing. Why don't we all fuck each other? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and he punches him. He punches him in the face. Super far, He's which is another it. nod to like a cartoon. Cartoon uh, logic, yeah. Just like the idea of like any time Wiley Coyote gets hit, he gets hit. A million feet. A million feet. Right. So when high hits him and then it's that upshot angle at yeah. high to reveal that he must have punched him Thirty feet? Sure. Feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's his boss, remember? So yep. this is tantamount so to like fired. he runs off with a bloody nose and says, "Dot, let's go." And then she's like, "You know, you're gonna lose your job." And he's like, "Yeah, I figure I will." Yeah. <laughs> so now shit's even worse, right? And I believe is it? It's at that moment when the roommates spring on him. The why they're there, right or no? Uh, n- no, it's the next sequence. Is oh, the yeah. Sequence. Yep. Yep. He and then when he comes back, he gives they, into his addiction. So, yeah. And robs a convenience yeah, store. So again. he robs a convenience store, which I want to point out. I don't like I don't even know how as a director. I mean, I, I might hazard a guess, but like how wherever it came from, whether it was uh, Nicolas Cage or it was the Coen brothers or some union of the two. Uh, the idea that every time a gun is fired at high, how he is slow to react and kind of just fine with it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't dodge bullets. He just right. slowly walks away <laughs> and is unstartled by any gunshot mm-hmm. that ever is thrown at him. And they get surprisingly close. And able to direct that to someone other than saying exactly what I said and having the other person absolutely go like, yeah, I totally know mm-hmm. what you mean. And I'm going to do that. Exactly. Cause sometimes you think you're saying the right thing. But you, like they don't know if you, you can't share a brain, uh, but it's so perfect. It's such good touch to make it feel like both he's in danger. And at the same time, this world obeys these silly rules that you just, buy into right you know it's it's just roadrunner and this is the beginning by the way of what's arguably the most famous sequence of this movie yet again just like blood simple a sequence that encompasses the midpoint this is the midpoint of the film which a structurally it works perfectly for the midpoint because this is when he makes a choice to plunge them back into a life of crime which changes the entire world that they're in now and uh, just like the midpoint of Blood Simple, it's a long non-dialogue scene. Oh, well, There's a little more dialogue in this. She talks but to the baby. This but- is the, You're right. That's what I just realized. But this is the famous long sequence to Carter Burwell's song, Way Out There, which I said to Abe right before we started recording, the song Way Out There, the title track that you all know that's like the cowboy yodel song from Raising Arizona. 
It's so good that I thought it was a real song from the 50s or and 60s they just that they found. No. Nope. No, it's a Carter Burwell original designed to sound like those types of songs. And it's maybe my best class. It's my favorite classic 50s song. Yeah. It's maybe the most exciting piece of title score ever. Yeah. Such a good song. Yeah, Carter Burwell is a superstar in the Coen Brothers yeah, stable. He's a, he's yeah. a musical genius. He, and he... You, he doesn't just do that. He also does everything else. Right. Like whatever genre you throw at him, Absolutely. he's like, I'll find you that. Oh, you want a, yeah. you want Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> yeah, Soggy yeah. Bottom Boys? You got uh, it. They brought in T-Bone Burnett to help out, but still. That's true, that's true. But he was just curating the actual tracks they would right, right. lift. He, yeah. Yeah. So the important point is he's robbing the liquor store for diapers because they need diapers. And when Holly Hunter sees that he, that's what he's doing. She decides to Some ditch him bitch. there. Right. She decides to drive away, depriving him of a getaway car. So as soon as she pulls, he sees her pulling out and he still has the gun on the guy. I love he goes, you better hurry up with that money. I'm in Dutch with the wife. <laughs> I'm in Dutch with the wife. Which I, I love that she says, uh, you son of you a bitch, of over a bitch. and over in you front of the son baby. son of a bitch. Because earlier when there, there, uh, we had the visitation from uh, uh, the brothers, uh, Ed tells Hi not to cuss around Nathan. Yeah. Uh, or no, this is right as they bring him, bring uh, Nathan Jr. in, uh, and he says he don't know a cuss word from Shinola. Yep. And uh, did you also read this fact? Well, I already, I always knew that phrase. Oh, that's I didn't an old, know that. That's phrase. an old expression. You don't I know found shit this from Shinola. Yeah, yeah, which in uh, the South is uh, Shinola's shoe polish, so it means. You're dumb. You're dumb. You don't know shit from Shinola. Yeah, so he don't know a cuss word from Shinola. The dialects, they're the- Which is a cuss word that isn't right. a cuss word. They invent little turns of phrase that are so great. I love John Goodman. Uh, at one point, had, the baby's been left alone with them, and Nick Cage comes in, and he's like, where's the baby? Is he okay? And he goes, ah, oh, don't lo- worry about little Junior. He's in there sawing toothpicks. <laughs> sawing toothpicks. So like sawing logs, but little tiny baby logs. Yeah, little a good ex- tiny little- and I don't think that's a real expression. <laughs> I think they made it up. It's yeah. so cute. Yeah, I mean, like... Could be. Could be a Southern expression. I mean, I yeah, heard. like, I don't even know. I don't think anyone... Had, it's so archaic that... That's the thing, is if it's invented, it's archaic enough, always, yeah. uh, that you could believe it existed. Like, I right. felt the same with Oh Brother. Damn, we're in a tight spot. Those are all w- welcome parts of <laughs> yeah. the language, but never in that configuration right. have I ever heard as, like, a saying. Uh Everything's got apostrophes in this script, by yep. the way. So there's an elaborate chase that can't really be described because it's just a badass chase sequence you have to watch. A yeah. bunch of funny stuff happens in it. Uh, and it. The variety of shots they employ in their montages right. is also what makes it so refreshing to me. Uh, like you have cop style follow shots in this. You have tracking shots, jib shots, circular shots, uh, everything. I'm glad you picked up on that because that's just one thing. I, I mean, like. So something amazing about this sequence to me uh, is that it's an absolute action sequence to a force. And I put it on the same level as Die Hard in the Glass on the Feet sequence and Hot Fuzz running out of uh, the store chasing the guy and like the, go- the, uh, the gaggle of goose. Yeah. Kind this of is Edgar Wright's favorite movie, by the way. What? Yes, that's Which right. Which is dope. That's right. He's our other favorite director. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> the reason is because he... I think Edgar Wright was probably taking this scene and because uh, notice something when you watch it, and I wish I could s- just show the visual. Uh, every sequence, every motion that's in front of camera, all the choreography, is either coming, being introduced from side to side, and all directionality is front, uh, is straight or going back. 
So everyone, the sh- you know, shot of Holly Hunter and Nathan Jr., the shot of him running with the ski mask, the cops always inner frame from left or right. Uh, everything, even the tracking shots when like high jumps over the gate, uh, even though it's pivoting around because it's uh, it like it loses him as he runs off and then it repans. So the camera dollies to a waist to make sure that he is absolutely in the center when he jumps off of the uh, uh, the gate. Right. Even though that directionality of like that street and how they could get that shot, that isn't how you do that. But it's storyboarding. But he wanted it. They wanted it. Like so. a comic book. The directionality yeah. means something. Yeah. So, so in other words, down. there's only four motions. It's Cardinal North, South, East, and West. Yeah. And that is all they play with in terms of motion in this entire, every shot. To make the geography super clear of this chase sequence, because it goes around several blocks. Which is crazy because of what you said that made me even want to talk about this, is that it's just like the, the the type of shots in their employ is so crazy. Because what it's doing is it's also not following directionality at all. Like, they come from the left, they come from the right, we're on his back, we're, you know, dolling with him as he's running towards camera. Like... That is not how you do geography in movies. If you want movies uh, to like, ha- you go left to right or something like that. I mean, compared to of- we talked about the last battle sequence in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. That's how you do clear geography yeah. in the traditional way. And yeah. it's brilliant. You stay on the right side of the line. Or you have a one or that carries us to the next room so you see where we are. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> so the geography is always clear because you always know he's in the middle of the street or he's hopping over exactly. trees. But... Th- you get the feeling that like when Holly Hunter's driving and she turns her right around, you son of a bitch and no. runs around. I gotta go pick up daddy. She changes her mind by the way, plot wise. It and like feels to like it's him. the same like street. Right. Because they all look the same. It's all suburban mm-hmm. and you lose, you're completely disoriented. You don't no. know exactly like, wait, is she close? Is she far away from him? Uh, where are the cops in relation to him and her? Are they gonna, you know, all get caught? Where are the huggies dropped? You do not know. And they kind of dip into that and they go like, yeah, it's like, it's just random hysteria. That's Again, all it's that just, we're doing. It's with thought through so much that they know what you need to know and what you don't care to know. It you doesn't don't care. Matter. You don't need to know. Yeah, uh, but you're well, as you alluded to, she does. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, God damn it. And she turns around, decides to save him. Yeah. She picks him up in the car. They argue in the car. There's a couple great <laughs> lines. He says, you know, but we don't have money. I did what I had to do for the family. And she goes, but we got a child now. Everything's changed. <laughs> she says it like That's that. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. She kills it. And then he movie. goes, well, well, I'll tell you what. Nathan Jr. accepts me for what I am, and I think you better had too. You know, honey, it's you know what it is. It's I'm okay, and you're okay, and that there's what it is. <laughs> Which again, they said like their ideas all come from supermarket magazines. And yeah, I'm like that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it's all sound about I'm wisdom. Okay, and you're okay, and that there's what it is, honey. <laughs> yeah, it's all Chanel. I love also. He's, this is in the earlier car sequence when he goes, "What? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> We got a family here. <laughs> like just so overjoyed that he has to question it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they do get home. They do lose the cops. They do lose the cops. Obviously tension between the couples. They get at an the huggies because that was important. That's the little punchline of the scene as they drive back to grab the and huggies. And he picks it up. Yeah. Wonk, wonk. Uh, on the right home. And uh, the next day, Glenn approaches High to fire him. And he's got a uh, brace around his neck. And he says he's going to sue. And he also... 
simultaneous, we haven't been chiming in as much because it's not as important. Uh, the idea of what's going on with the Arizonas. Uh, they're, you know, they've, we haven't had the sequence where he's gotten to the point where he's going to invite a bounty hunter, but he's just having problems with the police. And including that, there was uh, an insert shot earlier, uh, I think at the yeah. convenience store, of the fact that one of the uh, Arizonas is missing, Nathan Jr. So Glenn Press puts release. two together. And yeah. FYI, a thing we skipped over is we've seen Leonard Smalls in real life, so we know he's real at this point. Um, but all we've seen him do is wordlessly go up to that gas station they stopped at to pomade their hair yeah. and smell the pomade. So right. we're like, okay, he can find people by smelling locations. Because he's we a We know wolf. that, yeah. He's covered in fur. <laughs> yeah. uh, which he says he's then. part hound dog. Yeah, he's part hound dog. Uh, so it's that's all. But back at the trailer straight. park. Uh, yeah, so he's... Glenn has figured out uh, that's Nathan Jr. Oh, Glenn and Dot figured out they kidnapped the baby, yeah. And Dot wants them. They're not going to turn in. They're going to turn them in and as a blackmail because she wants an, uh, a new new thing to cuddle, as he says, as he's driving away. Uh, it's like a cat lady. When the babies get to be four years old, she one. just wants another baby. Yeah, yeah. just wants another that's why baby. That's why they have eight babies. So they're saying, look, we can turn you in for the reward. There's a $25,000 reward. Or we can forget all this if you give us that baby. So he blackmails him, uh, and then Gail and uh, Evel, Evel, yeah, Evel, I think, uh, overhear the conversation because they had to hide because High saw that. Get, what does he say? You guys get. Well, this lost. is we. They had just a bunch of shit happens at once because it's a farce. They just told him something we need to know, which is. They have plans to rob a bank. That's why they came to him to crash versus anywhere else. Right. And as you said, John Goodman's like, I know you got a predilection of pride and being a convenience store man, but we got ambitions high. And we're going to rob this bank, and it's just going to be the first leg of a spree across the country. country yeah. Like, they're obviously They're going to be bank criminals. robbers for life, and we're going to be rich. They're like, we aren't going to stop till we're rich. Yeah. yeah. And like they're like, we want you to come with us. And he's like... You guys got to get the fuck out of here. Then he steps outside and the Glenn exchange happens. They overhear it. And Glenn literally yells, I know you stole that baby. So they clearly overheard it because when High comes in, everything's immediately changed. They're holding the baby and they go, sorry about this, High. Like they're obviously going to take the baby and turn it into a reward. They have their own plan. Yeah. We want the 25 Throw you under the bus. We're going to have that. Which then starts one of my favorite... The best fight sequence of oh all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which includes another fat man punching through a wall. Yes, Goodman. No, he punches... As in Blood Simple. He punches through a cabinet door to withdraw right. a weapon, and all he gets is a wooden ruler, and he starts smacking High on the yeah. back with a wooden ruler. And High's just... On his back the entire fight. Yeah, it's Andre the Giant Princess Bride kind of deal. Um, And of course, everyone's favorite, when he tries to do a hammer blow with both fists and he raises it over his head and it... The popcorn ceiling like rips up his hands, and he goes ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a nice little touch. One of those kind of weird like um, yeah. it's just like just a weird thing that happened in a fight. Just happened to happen. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So they tie high up. They take the baby and the Doctor Spock book. Uh, you see their departure from Nick Cage's POV, which is very effective, and. You know, it's that classic shot. He screams and it cuts to a wide shot of the prairie. So like, ah, oh, his soul is broken. This is the worst thing that could right, have happened. Right, yeah. Right. And then what happens? 
So Smalls visits uh, Nathan, Arizona, talking, and they have a, there's a great line that's like, that would be $20,000 in 1954 money, mm. meaning that it's like a hundred or some thousand dollars that yeah. you could probably sell a baby on the black market. Mm-hmm. So 20000 uh, uh, so $20,000 is not enough. And right. He says, basically, I want more than the reward because I'm such a good tracker. I'm going to find your I'm baby. I'm going to find your baby. So you pay me a lot more or mm. I'll just sell the baby to someone who will pay right. me for the baby. Right. Yeah. And he calls him an evil man. Uh, he's <laughs> and uh, he, he, he works him up to $5,000. So now the bounty on Nathan Jr.'s... It's 25 now? $50,000. Oh, 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 okay. He doubles it. Yeah. All right, so and then John Goodman and his brother are driving down the road. He says, "I figure robbing be- a bank. I figure between the ransom and this bank we're about to rob, you and I will be sitting in the fabled catbird, catbird seat." seat. <laughs> I love that. It's also a Deadwood line that I love. Yeah. So now there's this great, another just little cartoon bit, which is two uh-huh. no good dumb criminals trying to take care of a baby, having big plans uh, yeah, for so themselves. They, Optimistic they, as all hell. They stop at a store to get diapers and. Uh, Balloons, yeah, and he, the, they rob the store. Are to these get the it. ones that make it? Uh, you can turn into funny shapes, unless circular is no, funny. Says, uh, yeah, so he says, do these balloons blow up into funny shapes at all? If round is funny, and then in the car he says, I also got balloons, and John goes, and go, do they blow up into funny shapes at all? And he says, nah, nah, just circular. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like they both care are about, brothers, yeah. and they care about the same. Like they think kids. Something ingrained in their head is kids like funny shapes and balloons. Yeah. Also a joke that's going to come back, so I want to mention it, is he tells the guy, this is his signature move, he tells the clerk, now lay down, close your eyes, and count to 895, and I'm going to come back in five, five minutes, minutes to check. Like you would come back to the crime scene, and he's like, and I'll blow your head off if you're not still counting. Yeah, like that's like how serious I am about you counting. Right. That's the so the old man starts counting, and then halfway through is like, this is bullshit. And then because of unrelated circumstances, their well, car is the... driving back the other way. Well, it's because they left the baby on right, the hood. Right, yeah. so that's the next beat. You tell that. But they forget that. Well, my favorite part about that is when they realize, like, hey, where's Nathan Jr.? And then they look at each other, and they both start screaming again comically as if right as they were birthed from the earth yes it's a callback to that scene so they they realize that they must have left the baby carrier on top of the car when they robbed the convenience store so it slid off and and man john goodman is not just screaming but hammering (laughs) the ceiling of the car hitting the dashboard (laughs) and showing us some shades of walter from lebowski he's like you'd never leave a man behind you'd never leave a man behind (laughs) and of course cut to just an insert shot of the baby where the baby's fine which is the one cartoon thing i couldn't buy where i was like it did topple. The implication is it did topple it, off the yeah, top of the no. car, and he just happened to land fine. It's, I guess it's magic. It's all magic. So they drive back to pick up the baby, almost hitting the baby in a shot that looks very scary to have gotten, but it was just reversed. Yeah, they started, pressed the brakes, and then peeled out. Peeled out backwards, uh, and get the baby just as the old man is going. This is bullshit, and stops counting and sees them outside again, and it's like, oh, I guess they were telling the truth. <laughs> and oh, keeps counting, keeps yeah. Counting. Picks up right where he left off. Yeah, <laughs> which is just a nice touch. God, John Goodman when he decides to stop punching the dashboard and start punching the ceiling of the car <laughs> is just gets me every time. Right, right. <laughs> so, oh, this event. 
has plucked their heartstrings so much that they now are the parents of the child. <laughs> right. When they recover the baby, they immediately, because they're brothers baby. and they're the same, he goes, we're never giving him up. And he goes, no, I don't care about that reward. He's our baby now. <laughs> no, just, I love the idea that Nathan Jr. is so, such a charismatic baby that whomever has ownership of that child, except for the mother and father, apparently, right. the true mother and father, immediately has decided that this is that they need to keep this baby. Yeah. They're not selling this baby. So now the hunt is on. Everyone wants the baby. The bounty hunter, the parent, or, you know, our protagonists, the real parents, and these two criminals. We have four forces working <laughs> towards acquiring right. the baby. And the brothers go to rob a hayseed bank, which is a bank where farmers put in their paychecks every Friday. And bi-weekly, yep. uh, they take all the money out, and that's when they're going to hit the fi- uh, safe and presumably like, get hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, a couple know. hundred grand. But they really only have like a small duffel bag. Like That's true. It's just a, uh, like, what is it? The, the bag they're like using a is a pillowcase. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's quick multi-cuts just to move the plot along. Ed comes home, unties high, yeah. uh, tells him, you know, the last thing we're going to do together as a couple is do whatever it takes to recover that baby. Mm-hmm. Then after that, I want a divorce. Like, I just don't. Th- right. We're obviously not because I don't love you. I just don't care. Anymore. But because, look, we got together and we immediately became criminals again. Like, we're right. bad influences for right. each other. Right. So they. Uh, so, yeah. And then they're. Oh, God, and. The robbery's so good. Sorry. Uh, just to get you to the robbery real quick. Just everyone's on the case. Leonard Smalls also comes by the trailer, right. just missing them, yeah. stares at the word fart, which is a great shot Which is sequence. just a great insert, just yeah. like this very serious man, just yeah. went out of sales with, he had to look at a single written word, yeah. and the word was fart. And then he sees the newspaper article about the bank that they are casing, and he he's just an amazing tracker, so he's after them, everyone's zeroing in on them. Right. While they rob the bank, describe the bank robbery, Abraham. Oh my God. So first off, my favorite part is that when uh, when Evel says Gail's name, yeah, uh, he he says Gail in front of everybody right. after having this long dialogue about whether or not they should freeze or get down, and then they finally decide you should all get down, and then they get scared because when they look behind the bank, all the tellers are on the ground, Invisible. and they're like, "Where'd they go? Where'd the tellers go?" <laughs> We're down here. They got down when you told them to, Sonny. Sonny? Uh, and I was like, uh, freeze, get down on the ground. Which well, one? now I can't rightly get down on the ground if I'm frozen and I shut up. Just get, just down, get on down, down on the ground, then freeze. Uh, all right. So my favorite, perhaps my favorite bit with these two is after they've, everyone's clearly heard By the that, way, sorry, important point. They don't want to leave the baby in the hot car. So oh, they, so they bring the baby. He's yeah. carrying the baby. He's during carrying the, the baby during a robbery. robbery. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, at, <laughs> so after he said his name, they then try to convince everybody that they're now they were using code names, and Gail is his code name, yeah. uh, which is just such a perfect like. It's the kind of thing where you see them make a mistake, yeah. have an idea, and follow through it yeah. in the most stupid way. I like, told you not to say names, not even code names. Code names, right? Because right. Gail is, is my, my code, code name. name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the most delightful little pieces of logic. Yeah. I love it. My favorite thing about com- comedy characters, and I had a huge debate with uh, people at film school about this. They were like, just get them to do the thing. Just tell them what their want is and go to town. And I'm like, no, because when you think when Job in that scene in Arrested Development mishears beads with bees, there had to be a conversation. 
even if it was just, you know, uh, it, Will Arnett in his head, but he had to think of, like, all right, what's the logic of Job? Job is thinking that at this moment he heard bees. Now he's thinking about bees. And, bzz, and, like, uh, and now he's thinking of these puns. It's like it's a very slow, easy-to-follow logic. And the fact that they both, like, since they are one human... <laughs> they like get this back and forth dialogue of stupidity just makes that moment for me. It's just such a fucking well-crafted joke. We'll see who earns more honey. (laughs) So, uh, he does a signature move. Yep. Stay on the ground for 10 minutes. We'll be back in five to check. And John Goodman says another line. I just love the turn of phrase. Anyone found bipedal in five wears his ass for a hat. Bipedal. And they, of course, I don't, they're so fucking stupid. They leave the baby again. They leave the baby in the bank. They leave the baby in the bank. And uh, the only thing that uh, we haven't mentioned is at one point the teller who's packing up all the money as they leave happens to put a timed dye canister in so it'll explode and make them blue paint. And indeed it does explode, blinding them. They scream again. Try to wipe it wipe off. off the windshield. Just as they get their view back, they can see that they're about to slam into High and Ed in their car, who are racing towards the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they actually crash, or do the cars just stop and they engage with each they, other? Uh, I don't remember. They don't crash. They they swerve and okay, and he breaks. They swerve and then they run out of the car. Ed and High both come at them with guns and point put guns in their faces and go, "Where's the goddamn baby?" And they go, "We were just going to get him. We're sorry. Yeah. We left him." We love him now. We don't want harm to come to yeah, him. Exactly. Which I love this because they stole their baby. And yet Nick Cage at the end is like, they're not bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they did love Nathan Jr. Up, up to shenanigans. Yeah, they're just, they're just outlaws. You can see that in them. Uh, so they go, the baby's back at the bank. Here's the Dr. Spock book, which is the last Dr. Spock But beat. Smalls arrives before they get back to so Jr. So it's the final standoff at the bank between Smalls and High and Ed. Basically... The the brothers, the Stoats are the Snotes have now been dispatched as a final boss. They're not in the movie again until we get their wrap up in the prologue. So now it's time to face off against the movie's actual villain. What's his name? Leonard Smalls. Smalls. Yeah. Or the uh the biker of the apocalypse. Yeah. Ed grabs the baby and flees. Uh and uh High tries to fight Smalls, but Smalls is a Frankenstein's monster of strength. Yeah. Uh, Nick Cage is doing the classic thing that a plucky, weak hero can do, which is just let the shit get beat out of him and try and hang in there. Yeah. He lets himself get dragged by the bike across gravel and right. stuff. And He's uh, really losing. Smalls is excellent at knives. He's a knife thrower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Holly, however, does the super mom thing where she just like rips off her hat and tie or like clip or whatever she's wearing mm-hmm. and marches directly at the scary man, not caring that he has two shotguns out going, give me that baby. Give me that you baby. Give me my baby. Give me that and baby. Smalls just kind of lets it happen. Well, no, no, no. He's going to shoot her and or throw a knife at her one or the other. And right. Nick Cage Nick is Cage. able to shoot him through the hand. Yeah. Uh, which also creates fire because like i guess his blood is fire yeah, the hell so. biker yeah. a bullet goes through his hand and flames come out of the hole right but regardless that buys them a second uh he ends up like tackling nick cage 
They have a scuffle. Yeah, it's yeah, the ending yeah. of the professional. He tosses Nick Cage away, uh-huh. which gives him enough time to recover his guns, cock them, <clears throat> point them at Nick Cage, and then Nick Cage holds up his hand, revealing he has a grenade pin. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you see that he pulled a pin. I noticed that the fight had a lot of. And I like that Nick Cage says, "I'm sorry, I'm so sorry," and then the guy explodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that the uh, the fight scene had a lot of like this fight scene had a lot of maybe it's just because one of the fighters is consistent high, but it had a lot to do with the same. I wonder if it was intentional to make uh, the brothers like big and husky, kind of like uh, Smalls, uh-huh. because it's like the same basic choreography of the fight when they're like grappling each other. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah, different bits though. Like different bits. The jokes, I mean, yeah, quote unquote. But I mean, it's the, the same kind of thing where. For sure. Yeah. I mean, once the board gets introduced, because Holly Hunter slap, like, knocks him out. With a board. With yeah. a board, which gets high, high the time to, you know, like, grab another board and block. Yeah. You knives. know how action sequences go. Yeah, At they, the last second, they barely save each other from the rampaging right. monster. Yeah. I just thought <laughs> it was a nice little touch, the grappling being like, it's almost like fighting with uh john goodman prepared him for smalls or something like that sure uh but yeah so smalls explodes and uh we're into the resolution of the the resolution which starts with the big scene of uh returning arizona back to his they decide to voluntarily return him yeah which of course nathan senior uh kind of is there and notices that they're there and he he catches them with a giant i just got to point out he with a giant desert eagle or yeah. colt revolver with like a six a inch barrel or gun. something and uh during that scene when he is investigating the crib and and doing business with nathan jr he He's points the revolver gun. directly at his son several times <laughs> uh, yeah. and there's even a shot where in the corner of the frame he has set the gun down in the crib and is several feet away looking at and talking to Nick Cage and Holly Hunter and the baby's crawling around towards the gun. (laughs) It's like you could add a gunshot sound effect off frame and and ruin the movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. And, uh, but at this point, hi and Ed are like as low as they can be, even though they've saved Nathan jr. From death, they don't think that they're good parents. They inspire as Holly Hunter says, inspire the worst parts of each other. They don't think they're good enough to for each other. Yeah. yeah. And so how are they going to bring how are they going to do any good to buy this child? So while we're returning it, Nathan uh senior asks why they did it and they're just like we're going to break up and like this is why we did it. Uh, yeah, we can't conceive. Yeah. And I, I kind of thought it was like a, a nice little touch at the start of like, we're the ones who found him is what High says to Nathan senior saying like like almost as if he's just kind of doubling back. They were to his old ways where he's going to not blackmail, but like like, try to get that reward money. But then within like maybe 10 lines of dialogue, once Nathan senior is like, you were the one. He's just immediately like, we're like, like, yeah, you're right. We don't need the money. Yeah. yeah, In other words. (laughs) Yeah. In other words, uh, like he's flirting with it because it's what he knows. It's his nature. But this situation has changed him so much and they love Nathan junior so much that he, We'll be honest with the man. Yeah. yeah and then nice he touch. convinces them. He says, don't break up tonight. Just sleep on it. You seem like a nice couple. Never go to uh, bed angry. And he mm-hmm. says, yeah, it would be like me breaking up with Florence. I love her so much. And it's actually I don't know so what funny do because her. the actor in that moment is so real and heartfelt 
you're like, oh, that's a long marriage. He's very passionate for that woman. The only lines she's ever said in the movie are, yes, dear, and no, no dear, dear, and stuff that's like that. That's their love. And I love that he finally reveals that like behind closed doors in his heart, he's like, I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus, there's kind of a hinting that they had their own fertility problems. He says, yeah, the problem is we use too much fertility medication. That's why we had five. Yeah. Yeah. And so he says, they have a don't shared worry. Bond. Medical science could catch up with you. You get, you guys should stick together and keep trying. Who knows? You just talk to one doctor. Um, so they do. They sleep on it. Nick Cage has a dream, which is also one of the more famous sequences of the movie, parodied a lot in other things. Right. The dream with the closing narration of him dreaming, what do you think? Either stuff that is going to happen. Or is it a fantasy or is it right. what actually happened? Uh, well, either way, they're going to stay together. This kind of, I mean, let's slide this into their next sequence because I think this is how the movie ends is kind of a, tells us how, like it kind of is everything. It's about like, what's the situation in the movie and what is supposed to, what are you supposed to determine is real and what is a fantasy? What's a folk tale? All right. And this spectrum Mm -hmm. is known as pedagogy. We're moving into pedagogy, which is where we talk about. The what is the what did the movie mean? What were the themes? So my take, at least to answer that question, my take is the yeah continuing with the dream question. I think that it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's got to be a mix of both. But here's here's the compelling reason why to me, the only other real dream that we've seen I have in the past has truths mixed with falses. It is prophecy. It's he 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 misreads the interpretation of what's actually going to happen he thinks he's a biker from the apocalypse and he's pure evil smalls is pretty evil but he's not like descended from hell right there are magic elements of him but he himself is not as magic as he is in that dream also in the dream he implies that he assumes that he's just imagining this thing because he's so stressed and his brain is literalizing his troubles so but no the guy literally exists so here's what i think so i think uh that how we're supposed to take the ending, which, what does that even mean? But, like, how I take it, I guess, is that uh, High is kind of a prophet in this regard. His dreams do have merit, and the details, especially, are kind of true almost all the time. Like, he got the fucking tattoo down. So I think that it is, he is unable to see the reality truly, but his interpretation of real events uh are, are, is completely wrong. Right. But he actually is seeing the future. In other words, I think what we're supposed to take the end is... Uh, analogous stuff analogous, will happen. He's <laughs> going, they're going to have children. They're going to be happy. But like maybe it isn't 800 kids. You know, Maybe right. it isn't... Uh, but it's like a nice little dream. It's the new salad days. Right. It's, he premises a return to the salad days, as they say. Exactly. Um, and for people who need a refresher... The ending is his dream that night. He dreams basically an ending for everyone. Oh, real quick, just because you mentioned the tattoo, I also wanted to make sure to mention that is some defunct like gasoline or racing motor company logo, whatever, who cares? All right. But it's a tattoo of a woodpecker with his hair blown back, smoking a cigar. And the reason they went with that motif for Nick Cage's character is there's just a thing where his hair gets higher and higher as he gets more stressed, the more stress he has in his scene. And when like things what, are calm again, his hair can calm yeah, down um, like I, Woody Woodpecker. And I think the most interesting aspect is at, during the fight with Leonard Smalls, he reveals that Leonard Smalls has an identical, uh, 
identical tattoo. And I think that that's just to show that, like, Leonard Smalls actually is a bad criminal, a fully corrupt criminal. Yeah. So it's like, they're not, we're not so different, you and I, but without having to have anyone say that, he's got the tattoo, you've got the tattoo. This is the end result of a criminal who has gone all the way down the dark side. Right, right. And I, um, I actually think it was an interesting notion going back to because we've mentioned like Looney Tunes and this idea of yeah. Uh, I think, I think uh, if you, I don't think originally if I had to hazard a guess they thought Woody Woodpecker. They've said it in interview several times that that, but Woody Woodpecker has like the same hair as Roadrunner, mm-hmm. and Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote are obviously like down to the Chuck Jones like it's the American Southwest. Right. It's comically violent. One of them is literally a wolf in the cartoon. This guy looks like a wolf and was raised mm-hmm. by hounds or whatever. It's part hound. Oh, right. And so why? Oh, Smalls is the wolf and, he, yeah, he's and wily. Nick Coyote. High is the roadrunner road for sure. And he's literally running down roads most yeah. of the movie. Right. So I think they did the Woody Woodpecker nod because they they thought it would be too on the nose to make him literally yeah. Roadrunner. And again, it's not officially Woody Woodpecker. That is the logo of like a motorsports company that went out of fashion, but the logo stayed popular. Right, right, okay. But yeah, I just think it's, it's one of those things, because they've said in interviews how it's Woody The hair Woodpecker. thing, for sure, yeah. So, but as for back to the dream, what it actually is, he says, uh, he basically ends everything. He imagines that the brothers, the Snotes, will voluntarily walk back to the prison covered in blue paint, go into the poo hole and claw, <laughs> crawl back through the sewer and put themselves in jail. And he said like, not cause, or just cause they're not ready for the big, great world. Weren't yet. ready yet to come out into the world. Yeah. And then he says, and as for me and Ed, we can be good too, but it seemed real. It seemed like us and it seemed like well home. And he's dreaming way of the future. Them as old people, if not Arizona, then a land not too far away where all parents are wise and capable and all children are beloved. I don't know. Maybe it was Utah. And in the shots, you see that they have tons of kids and grandkids. So somehow they overcame the infertility issue. And they're just like old people holding hands. Yeah. Final shot of the movie. I also have this question. Why not end in the dream? Because the final shot of the movie is Nick Cage's eyes open, open. waking up from the dream. Then it cuts to credits. Uh, I think it's that's the sign of agency. Because you can have a dream and wake up and forget it the way in which his eyes open means that he's going to take, he's learned to take these dreams seriously and he's going to be proactive in making sure that he and Holly Hunter follow what Nathan senior was saying and try and try again. That's my interpretation. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That's not very nihilist. That's my main question That's, to bring it's up. It's their in the least pedagogy. nihilistic film. I think even H- lady killers, but dude in Hudsucker, a guy who is good at heart, but be- circumstances conspire to make him jump off the roof of a building an angel stops time to save him because he's a good guy that is as opposite of nihilistic i think as you uh, can get i disagree even though i understand what you're saying about like the imagery and such a w- but i think that that's like the imagery is literally the universe intervening because yeah, you're no, a good I know. guy I know, yeah. I know. it's literally an angel yeah uh no here's here's the reason why is that um hudsucker i believe works on this poetic justice that this film also does, which as we mentioned in our blood simple, they're like the odd two out Mm -hmm. because they're usually nihilistic filmmakers. And what we said last time, and if you didn't listen to blood simple nihilistic in the sense of 
they don't give any credence to the idea that there is like providence. It's all karma or justice. It's yeah. just a bunch of atoms bumping into each other. And I, all right, with that said, I think that Hudsucker is much less because your guy is a good guy. Like Tim Robbins is so good, and the world and the that he's been like in this capitalistic wasteland that he's been introduced. Wait to get to Hudsucker. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like my favorite movie of it's all so time. Good. Because he he gets what he earned, uh, but he already started as a good guy. This movie, he starts in the gutter. He's mm. literally incarcerated like twenty Repeatedly, times. Yeah, and he gets to have a great life. So it's like if Tim Robbins, in other words, came and he. I mean, he comes from uh, Indiana. You know, like mm-hmm. he's he's go Eagles and all that stuff. Muncie like, in Muncie. Uh, he, even though he's, uh, he's not a bad guy. He started off as a good guy. And in this world, no, it's the opposite plot. He becomes an asshole as he gets power. And then he has to relearn how to be it. a good yeah, guy yeah, yeah. again. No, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but in raising Arizona, it's just a con- constant, he gets better. That's uh, true. He starts as the worst guy he's ever going to be in so, the movie. So to me, that's what makes this movie, uh, the least nihilistic film because it's absolutely just a hero's journey. It's just a hero's journey. And the ending really gets me. I always tear up and it does feel like everything's okay. There is always hope. And I'm like, that's so not Cohen to leave the movie feeling that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause Hudsucker, he has his, he has his like in the, who has, who has a lower point, Tim Robbins or Nick Cage. Nick Cage has the world acting upon him in a sad way. Absolutely, Tim Robbins. Tim, Tim Robbins, Robbins literally it upon doesn't just consider, but makes the choice to kill himself. Yep. He doesn't know he'll be saved. So exactly. He, it, it was as dark as you can be. He wanted to not live yeah. anymore. And I mean, I guess that's because it's not really Nick Cage, even though we But that's do another see, story. We see, we see through a high's eyes, but like Ed is also the main character yes, too. Yes, absolutely. And she has her lowest point. Right. And she might kill herself, but do you think there's a theme to it. the movie or a resonant line or a summation line? Cause I found one I think could be it. You go first, but it also might not need one. The theme might be, it's a fun cartoon. Sometimes this is a hard world for little things. That's all. Like I think because it's obviously on the theme of chi- raising a child. Mm. And I wonder if, the message of this film is as simple as that is like, yeah, when your first kid is born or however you acquire your first kid. And I've talked about this on tales from the pit with Soren and Griffin. Uh, you experience a kind of joy and a kind of fear you've never experienced before. Like Griffin's so terrified of somehow killing the tiny baby before it gets big enough to not easily be killed. And he's like, it really is a staggering fear. And I wonder if it's just about that. Like, Here's a guy who is compelled to be a criminal and he wants to be good and he as as he becomes legit or whatever and gets the things that like a good standard member of society wants, he realizes he vastly underestimated the right. level of responsibility. It's crazy and it's overwhelming. Biology and the prejudices of others conspire to keep us childless. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because they wouldn't adopt to him because he had a record. Yeah, exactly. But that's all I got. It's not like 
pedagogy is going to be light on this because this is mostly about how fun was were all those lines and all those things that happened. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people criticized it as having style over substance, right? I yes, but like by that measure, I just like to approach things on their own terms. Yeah, Arrested it's a popcorn De- movie. It's a po- like Arrest- judge it on those right. terms. Arrested Development. Their actual shtick that they are going for is to be as shallow, hollow, vapid, and substanceless as possible. And I love that show. So that proves that you don't have to be, you don't have to be freaks and geeks. There doesn't have to be heart. Something can be devoid of soul if the goal is just, look how amazing this cartoon is. It's so funny. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you got here. Yeah. Want to do how do you do that? Sure. Howdy do that. Howdy do that. This is trivia, fun facts, and behind the scenes info. What do you got? Uh, let me pull up my little thing here. Please don't. I don't want to see your little thing. Don't pull it up. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I'll say one then. Nathan Jr. doesn't cry in the whole movie. And, but every, oh, the kid? But every other the, character. The, the, child, the baby actor? Yes, never cries. <laughs> but every other adult cries in his presence. It's just like the <laughs> yeah, he's got this crazy charisma like that the, causes people yeah. to cry. It's also just like the gun and blood sim- or the detective and blood symbol, where it's like you know they never see him. Does yeah. Nathan Senior cry in front of Nathan Junior, or is he not? I think it's character? referring to just yeah, hi, uh, the, the brothers. two brothers and Ed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's a shot when um, Florence, Arizona, is discovering that Nathan Junior is gone. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also, High's dream of the biker of the apocalypse shows the biker's POV approaching the Arizona residence. Both of those shots were a rig that is as simplistic as it gets. It's when you have no money and you want to make like a steady cam and movement. And it was invented by and called Ramy Board. Mm-hmm. So it was used in The Evil Dead. When the possessed spirit, it's the one. So they speed it up. That's why it has that unique look. But it's like when it's trying to navigate. When the possessed spirit is running, uh, like through the forest, or like when they dolly into uh, Bruce Campbell's face, it kind of has that weird, like low to the ground, fast moving. Uh And it's just a camera taped to a plywood plank that has two guys running with one it. on either side yeah. running holding it low to the ground yeah. yeah and they used it in both those uh places here so here's where the coen brothers saw oh shit that's a cool thing Ramy. we're gonna use it in this one because it has this weird look yeah also uh Ramy also is one of those guys who is kind of mixes that idea of like this is really campy horror like i'm making a seriously horrifying movie with funny but it's parts, funny right so they're doing the same thing i think here where they're trying to tell this like they're trying to in one case trying to tell a horrible thing happening to a mother losing a child uh but by kidnapping and then yeah. two a biker of the apocalypse which might as well just be the evil dead you know yeah and i love how they at- I think, felt the need to top Raimi. They're like, well, if we're going to steal this, we got to add an element. Their sh- shot, board, Raimi board shot, doesn't just approach the house. It goes up the ladder and into the window. <laughs> so they made it more challenging for themselves. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the boards got better, you know, like yeah. good quality, quality boards. boards. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, I was talking about how I love the variety of shots and the montages, and one that really got me is how it's going directional left to right, directional left to right, directional left to right, and then all of a sudden they pause to do a, that 70s show circle shot pointing out from the center like right. a Lazy Susan shot of the support group, which A, just shows you like a murderer's row of interesting looking faces that's clearly like mm. this is what they like to cast. And B, I read online, the guy leading the group has a necklace that's a Jewish symbol, and it's the, a symbol pr- that's pronounced Chai? high. Oh. It's spelled C-H-A-I, but it's pronounced high. So oh. it's just a reference to H.I. McDonough. Yeah. <laughs> that's stupid, but cool. <laughs> it's pointless. It's pointless. <laughs> yeah. um, they have also said in interviews that they came up with Leonard Smalls when they decided not to envision a villain for this film that they think is realistic or something that appeals to them, but try to imagine the kind of villain Nicolas Cage's character would imagine in a movie he were writing. It's almost got an adaptation feel to it. Yeah, that's... So, like, he's... Charlie Kaufman-esque. But it lends credence to the fact that, so, like, Leonard Smalls is born from his dreams. Yeah, he, This might be the story of a guy whose dreams magically come real. Yeah, yeah. Like, Before I Wake, that movie that just came out. Yeah. Yeah. Where he just manifests his reality just by dreaming them. Yeah. So he's not a prophet, but he's a god? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. O-P-E and P-O-E are both spray-painted on the door of the gas station restroom. Poe and O-P-E. What's O-P-E? It's references to Dr. Strangelove, one of their oh, favorite yeah. movies. O-P-E is the nuclear recall code, and General Ripper in Strangelove is obsessed with P-O-E because it means purity of essence in his mind. <laughs> Oh yeah, I gotta watch that again though. It's I gotta watch Strange Love. I I didn't even catch. We'll that frame reference. rate it. Yeah. Only other thing I unearthed that I thought was interesting is the lullaby Ed sings to Nathan Jr. is an actual old lullaby. Isn't it about like murdering people? And we don't hear the lyrics, but the actual lyrics are about a guy brutally murdering his fiance and hiding the body. Yeah. yeah someone was telling me that. Which <laughs> is just. No one would ever pick up on that. Like they, they just no. like the tune. They just picked it. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. There's no <sighs> intention there. Because Joel directed, Ethan produced. Is that the opposite of Blood Simple or the same? Joel directs, Ethan produces. Always. Oh, okay. Almost always. I think they. Saw, there's a few films that they went. They co-directed. I don't know why. They're not editing themselves yet because there's no Roderick James. It's Mike R. Miller for this one. Yeah. Uh, still got Carter Burwell. Still got Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, r- Wait, is Roderick Jane's? I thought this was edited by Roderick Jane's. And uh, in the credits, it says Michael R. Miller. I checked. Oh, okay. Because, uh, yeah, so Roderick, so everyone knows Roderick Jane's is a kind of numb de plume for their, uh, for their editorial collaboration. So Ethan and Joel tandem edit, and they often don't. Uh, they don't want the an editor to say edited by Ethan and Joel. No, that's not reason why they created it because the editors union got angry at that's them. That's what I was about to say. Oh, that okay. is why. <laughs> so it had an intention. It was just right. them like saying, fuck the situation, like fuck the system. Uh, we're going to be the ones who there's this new guy. His name's Roderick James. Cause there's rules about how many credits you can include. They don't want you to do every job yourself because they want you to employ more union people. And on the one hand, that's great. On the other hand, it's their movie, and if they are directors and they're also incredibly skilled editors and they want to edit it, they should get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they should. We should allow those guys to do whatever they yes. want. Uh, <laughs> they edit their own work very well. 
which is a unique art. Most people need editing, you know, even the most talented of us. And these guys, I never find like I'm, like they're overstaying their welcome or anything. Uh, this movement or this movie is uh, like a pretty tight, like 94 minutes. Yeah, Blood Simple was also almost exactly 90. They're keeping it real short the, to start they, out with. That's uh, also smart. But don't get used to it, because next up is Miller's Crossing, Uh-oh, which is epically long, I believe. Oh, yeah, it's over two hours. Yeah, I think two hours, 11 minutes or something. That could be inaccurate because we haven't done our research yet. But we will be back next time with Miller's Crossing on the Coen Brothers Brothers. Oh. We're good singers. <laughs> Maybe we should start a band. <laughs> you ain't saying. We ain't saying. <laughs> this has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you. <laughs>